Welcome to the Doc Washburn Show, the show that talks about what you actually care about. The Doc Washburn Show streams live at noon Eastern, 11 a.m. Central, weekdays on the Podbean app, which you can download onto your smartphone. That's P-O-D-B-E-A-N, and is available for download at Spotify, Apple, or wherever podcasts are available. The Doc Washburn Show is on Twitter and Facebook. You can email us at contact at docwashburnshow.com or call us at 866 609 3711. All right, this is episode number 41 of the all-new Doc Washburn Show. It's Wednesday, December 8th. Yes, I was fired by one of the biggest radio companies in America, Cumulus Media, simply because I refused their vaccine mandate. Yes, it's obvious last November's presidential election was stolen. No, my old employer wouldn't let me say that on the radio. And yes, there's all kinds of evidence out there that a lot of people are having serious negative reactions to the vaccines. So this is a really different kind of talk show. We're unmasked, uncensored, and unfiltered. Now, before I tell you what happened last night, when I spoke to the Pulaski County Commission of the Republican Party of Arkansas and got a standing ovation, even though the chairwoman of the commission was furious with me, I got to give you some good news. If you tried to buy a car recently, you realize there's such a chip shortage, you may have a hard time finding what you're looking for. People I know have actually bought vehicles from hundreds of miles away from where they live because they couldn't buy one in the town they lived in that was exactly what they wanted. That's where Red River Your Way comes in. Red River Your Way is a big old car dealership in the middle of the USA that believes in freedom. The freedom to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV the way you want to. You can buy online and they'll drive it to you, no matter where you are. Red River Your Way wants to make your car buying experience as easy and transparent as possible. That's why they've added, they've added technology to their website that puts you in complete control of your payment options and allows you to complete the entire purchase process online. But don't worry. Red River Experts are still here to help you every step of the way if you have any questions. Red River makes it so easy. As you browse their selection, you'll see each vehicle has a button that says Explore Payment Options. Clicking that button guides you through a few easy questions that then create personalized payment options that you have full control over. All you have to do is adjust your preferences, and all the math happens automatically so you can determine what monthly payment works best for your budget. Red River Your Way makes car buying online easy. Your whole car buying process is completely transparent. If you want to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV, order online from the nationwide car dealer that believes in freedom. The dealer that will deliver your vehicle to your front door, no matter where you live, all over the USA. RedRiverYourWay.com. You'll be glad you did. All right, now, that having been said, You know, I uh, refer every once in a while to the fact that I was fired from one of the biggest radio companies in America for simply refusing to get the vaccine. And some folks reached out to me and asked me, hey, Doc, would you mind coming to talk to the Taco Tuesday evening meeting 
uh, the Pulaski County Republican Party of Arkansas. For those of you outside of Arkansas, Pulaski County is where Little Rock is, the capital, the, uh, the biggest city in the state. And I said, sure, I'll be happy to. What do you want to talk about? Well, we like you to tell everybody about, uh, you know, how you got fired, what, what the whole deal was about that, because a lot of people are wondering. I used to do the, uh, the big local radio talk show in Little Rock. I said, sure. And, and, you know, whatever else is going on in politics, whatever else will be interesting to our audience. I'm like, sure, absolutely. So I went all the, uh, through the whole process uh, about the things you weren't supposed to say on Cumulus Media and all that. Uh, I'm not going to belabor that at this point because if you want to know the whole story about how I got fired and why and, you know, I then turning down my religious exemption for the vaccines, all that kind of stuff. And just go to episode one. The first episode of the Doc Washman show, I covered all that. So go back and take a look at that, and, and you get the whole story. But I did it last night. Meeting at the Republican Party of Arkansas building on 6th Street in downtown Little Rock, Arkansas. Now... That having been said, I had gotten a call day before yesterday um, and a message was passed on to me. Please don't mention even any of our Pulaski County Republican legislators. And I first thought that that meant um, people in the state house of the state senate but i was told also specifically that that meant uh uh the u.s representative from central arkansas french hill and um so i received the message don't mention his name and you know one of the things about doing what i do these days being set free from local talk radio, working for a woke liberal company, is that I'm not censored anymore. Okay? So here's what I said last night. After I got through talking about how I got fired and I got this new um, podcast and Got over 77,000 downloads after just 40 episodes, and we have advertisers, and the Lord closed one door, he opened another. I said this. Now, I have been asked not to mention any of our Pulaski County legislators, but I hope you don't mind if I give you reasons to vote for one of our incumbents. I said, if you believe President Trump's suggesting a landslide victory and a stolen election was a post-election fiction and folly, you should vote for French Hill in the primary next May because that's what he said. If you believe what happened at the U.S. Capitol on January 6th was an attack and President Trump's rhetoric in the days leading up to it was unforgivable, French Hill is your guy because that's what he said. 
If you agree that Liz Cheney should have remained in Republican House leadership even after she voted to impeach Trump because she's an outstanding conservative, vote for French May 24th because that's what he said. If you agreed with French's vote to cooperate with the Democrats in setting up a commission to investigate what happened at the Capitol on January 6th, French is your guy. If you agree with his vote last week to give $400 million to the CDC to make it easier for the feds and the state governments to track our vaccination status, hey, I've read the bill, that's what it does, then vote for French in the primary May 24th. Finally, if you agree that our U.S. representative from the 2nd District of Arkansas should continue his silence about the Biden Justice Department's political persecution of hundreds of Trump supporters locked up in jail on nonviolent misdemeanor charges and denied bail for the better part of a year simply because they're Trump supporters, by all means, vote for French in the primary. I happen to disagree with him on all those points. So I plan to vote for Conrad Reynolds. And as I'm trying to say I plan to vote for Conrad Reynolds, I realize that a woman I've never met before, didn't have any idea who she was, had made her way up to the podium and was starting to speak into my microphone, excoriating me, saying, look, we're all Republicans here and we need to respect each other. She did not at that point introduce herself. I had to find out later who she was. And I said, I asked if I was being censored. And she said, no, I just, you know, we just need to, we're all Republicans and we need to respect each other. I said, okay, well, I'm through talking about French. Can I talk a little bit about Liz Cheney? Well, please just respect our local Republican legislators. I said, okay. And she was furious. So I said, all right, let's move on to someone else. I mentioned Liz Cheney. A few weeks ago, the Republican Party of Wyoming voted to no longer recognize her as a Republican. The language of the resolution called on U.S. House Republican leaders to strip Cheney of her committee assignments and the House GOP conference itself. The resolution repeatedly criticized her for rebuking former President Trump as well for not attending county GOP committee meetings. Now, if criticizing the former president and failing to attend county Republican meetings is enough to get an elected Republican kicked out of the party, I think we have a much bigger elephant in the living room to address, no pun intended. I said back in April, State Representative Robin Lundstrom and State Senator Alan Clark did a wonderful thing. They sponsored the SAFE Act, the Save Adolescents from Experimentation Act. Now, it was a wonderful bill, but it was a bit of a misnomer because it was also designed to save much younger children from being chemically castrated. Dr. Natalie Burr, 
of the Little Rock Pediatric Clinic testified against the bill. When questioned, she said, four years old was not too young for a child to know he or she was assigned the wrong gender at birth and to start the process of counseling to change it. Anyway, the bill passed both the Arkansas Senate and House overwhelmingly. Of course, no Democrats voted for it. Not surprisingly, the party of abortion was not interested in protecting children. But then an odd thing happened. And I looked over at this woman, who I later found out, her name is Marlise Kerr. She is the uh, chairwoman of the Pulaski County Republican Party and is married to former insurance uh, Commissioner Alan Kerr, who is now some kind of political consultant, and he was sitting front and center. So I looked over at her, and I said, do I have to stop now? And she said, no, no, I just please, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm asking you to please respect our Republican legislators. And I said, oh, the legislators did a great job. See, because both I knew and she knew I was getting ready to slam the governor, the rhino governor, who's not a legislator. So I said, but then an odd thing happened. Our Republican governor stood with the Democrats and vetoed the bill to protect children from sterilization. He went on Tucker Carlson's Fox News show and when asked, insisted that no one from Walmart or Tyson had called him to urge him to veto the bill. The next night, Tucker Carlson played video of Governor Asa Hutchinson from a few days earlier on a different Fox News show saying we have multinational corporations based in Arkansas who are very concerned about this bill. Tucker then looked into the camera and said, so he lied to us. And then I said, I think what Asa did in vetoing that bill, which, thank God, our legislature overrode, is much worse than anything Liz Cheney did. Have y'all considered disowning him for that? Because, you know, I'm looking at an audience of about 90 people. I don't know which ones of them are uh, members of the board of the Republican Party of Arkansas or of the Pulaski County Republican Committee. I have no idea. But I know some of them have to be. And I was trying to hold their feet to the fire because to me it's inexcusable that Governor Hutchinson didn't do, well, that Governor Hutchinson was not held accountable by the party. That's what I'm trying to say. So anyway, that having been said, I continued. I said, do you remember the COVID-19 town hall that Governor Hutchinson did a few months ago at Salem Springs? And people were yelling at him because they had loved ones who had gone to the hospital with COVID and they weren't given anything for it, no therapeutics, no nothing. Asa begged to differ. He told the folks, of course the hospitals are giving COVID sufferers therapeutics. And he probably believed that, you know, because it wouldn't make any sense for them not to, right? 
He said, of course the hospitals are giving therapeutics to COVID sufferers. He turned to a hospital administrator there with him and said, right? And the hospital administrator responded, not presently, sir. I wonder why. Uh, the next part is where I got kind of choked up. I said I would be remiss in my duty if I didn't share with you a story from my own family. A few months ago, my son Andy in Florida texted me that he had COVID and hadn't been able to eat solid food in five days. I was alarmed. My wife was crying. I called our family doctor, a wonderful fellow, Dr. Daniel Dobby, Gulf Coast Facial Plastics in uh, Panama City, Florida, does ear, nose, and throat. And I pleaded with them to help. I didn't have to plead with them. I just told them what was going on. And he jumped on it. He prescribed hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, and a steroid. The CVS Pharmacy in Niceville, Florida, slow walked it for almost a full day. By the time Andy started getting the meds in the system, he was gasping for air. I think we may have almost lost him, but he gradually started getting better, and he's fine now. On the other hand, a friend of the family in Little Rock went to a large hospital in Little Rock a few months ago, about four months ago, with symptoms, tested positive for COVID, was sent home with no treatment, got much worse. Her daughter drove her back over to the big hospital three or four days later. She was told, oh, I'm sorry, you missed the three-day the three window for treatment, whatever that means. They admitted her into the hospital, eventually put her on a vent, and three weeks later, she, she died. That's really troubling. And so then I asked the question, why do they do that? Why do they do that? Why did UAMS, the University of Arkansas Medical System, plant stories with local media Suggesting that, uh, not suggesting, just saying that ivermectin is horse paste when they know the people who developed it got a Nobel Prize for the human version just six years ago. Why do they do that? I mean, there's no excuse, right? And then I mentioned I interviewed Dr. Gregory Bledsoe. Surgeon General, of Ar Surgeon General of Arkansas. And so, he's a candidate for lieutenant governor. I presented him with the anecdotal evidence. I've heard from plenty of people who either went to the hospital or they had loved ones who did, tested positive for COVID, had COVID symptoms, and the hospital wouldn't give them any treatment. I asked Dr. Bledsoe if he would please use the bully pulpit that he has 
as the Arkansas Surgeon General to urge doctors and healthcare facilities to actually treat COVID patients. He refused. He told me and my listeners that doctors in Arkansas are really sharp. Hospitals are doing a great job. They certainly aren't sitting around waiting to hear from him what he has to say about treating patients for COVID. And I thought that was really weird. So, since Dr. Bledsoe oversees the emergency room in Russellville, Arkansas, I asked him, what is standard operating procedure when someone presents with symptoms and tests positive for COVID at your ER? He said there was no standard operating procedure. It was just a a case-by-case basis, and it's left up to the individual doctors. I found that very troubling. Then I said over the weekend, Dr. Mace Rothenberg, former chief medical officer for Pfizer, was on the Washington Journal program on C-SPAN. He said, and I quote, Let me make it clear that when we're talking about the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine, there have been no deaths that have been reported to have occurred directly as a result of the vaccine and the vaccine alone. There have been deaths reported with other vaccines, and they're now beginning to look into the reasons for this. But I think that that really needs to be clarified. And I said, this is a stunning admission. He said the vaccines other than the Pfizer one have actually killed people. If you haven't heard about this, may I suggest perhaps you're getting your news from the wrong place. I still do a show every day, and I don't ever want you to think, hey, Doc, why didn't you tell us? All I have to do is go to docwashburnshow.com to listen live or download the podcast, wherever you get podcasts already. Okay, so at that point, I said, as more and more evidence trickles out about dangerous side effects of the vaccines, I'm reminded of the words of the great Christian author, C.S. Lewis. Of all tyrannies, A tyranny sincerely exercised for the good of the victims may be the most oppressive. It would be better to live under robber barons than under omnipotent moral busybodies. The robber baron's cruelty may sometimes sleep. His cupidity may at at some point be satiated, but those who torment us for our own good will torment us without end, for they do so with the approval of their own conscience. This very kindness stings with intolerable insult. To be cured against one's will and cured of states which we may not regard as disease is to be put on a level 
of those who have not yet reached the age of reason or those who never will to be classed with infants, imbeciles, and domestic animals. And I concluded with a verse from the Apostle Paul's letter to the church at Galatia, have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? I sincerely hope not. Thank you for your patience. God bless you. And at that point, I got a standing ovation. About three-fourths of the people in the audience stood up and, and applauded. And, you know, you always hope for a positive response. But I thought it fascinating that the chairwoman of the Pulaski County Republican Party, the most populous county in the little state of Arkansas, was furious with me. I still have not been introduced to her. She was furious with me, but the overwhelming majority of the people that were there for Taco Tuesday were thrilled at what I said. So there's a dichotomy there, you know? And frankly, if telling the truth about what a congressman has said, if telling the truth about how a United States representative has voted is somehow being impolite, then we have we have a different uh, we have a different definition of what it means to be polite <laughs> Um, I just, uh, in my humble opinion, I think if you are an elected representative in the United States of America, the U.S. House of Representatives, you should be able to defend your actions. You should be able to defend what you publicly say. And by all means, you should be able to defend your votes. But there are a number of people we elect to Congress who are not able to defend their votes. And certainly French Hill, United States representative from central Arkansas, is by no means able to defend voting to keep Liz Cheney in 
Republican leadership in the U.S. House. She's now been disowned by the Republican Party in her own state. And she's the only Congress person out of that state. French Hill is not able to defend voting for the January 6th commission. What was supposed to be a bipartisan affair with Pelosi and the Democrats. With subpoena power. If both parties agreed on who they're trying to subpoena. It was a joke. It was a sham. And French Hill certainly is not able to defend voting to strengthen the national vaccination database that he voted for last week. I mean, he tried. He went out on Twitter and tried. But to me, it looked like obfuscation. Oh, we got an email. Let me, let me take a look. Yeah, I met uh, Mike Masuko and his lovely wife last night. Got an email from them today. You knocked it out of the park tonight at the GOP meeting. Loved watching the swamp squirm. God bless you. Well, God bless you and your lovely wife too, Mike. Appreciate that. Appreciate that. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. Yeah, I... uh, I really uh, enjoyed last night the uh, <laughs> the tacos from Moe's were great. Um, and you know, I gotta say, although I don't naturally seek out controversy and confrontation. If I'm saying the right thing and doing the right thing, which I believe I was, and everybody said I was, I enjoyed it. It was great. Sometimes... Sometimes it's good to have the right enemies. You know I'm saying, Holmes? Sometimes it's good to have the right enemies. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was great. It was great. What the... <laughs> One of the comments on the Podbean app here, uh, people listening live, apparently hippos got COVID and are in quarantine. The only thing they want off of was to do their nostrils. Their nostrils are runny. Common sense has gone out the window for some people. Maybe he meant rhinos instead of hippos. Otherwise, maybe I'm just not all that bright. <laughs> okay, I got I to... Gotta, I got to take a sip of some uh some of some OJ, some orange juice. So hang on just a second. Thanks for listening to the Doc Washburn show. We are unmasked. 
uncensored, and unfiltered. Many of you have asked, how can we help support the show? Really easy. Go to DocWashburnShow.com and click Become a Patron at the top right corner of the website or click the Podbean logo where it says, Be My Patron on Podbean. We sure do appreciate your support of the Doc Washburn Show. Yeah, we do. Yeah, we do. We certainly do. And, you know, I, I appreciate the fact that we have some advertisers, too. And we don't just accept anybody. We accept advertisers we believe in. So let me ask you this. Are you like most Americans? Did Obamacare, the so-called Affordable Care Act, make your health care more expensive because they were lying to you? And they knew they were lying to you. And they knew we knew they were lying to, to us. Did Obamacare, the so-called Affordable Care Act, make your health care more expensive? Does your health insurance premium feel like a second mortgage? Does your sky-high deductible prevent you from going to the doctor? Do your sky-high co-pays keep you from going to the doctor? Now, if you answered yes to any of these questions, you need to get a hold of my friend Art Wilborn. He has a website called MyFamilyHealthPlan.com. You open up that website. Big bold letters, affordable plans, save 30 to 50% on premiums, personalized health coverage, low to no deductible, no co-pays. People are like, man, that sounds fantastic. Okay, we're right below that is the button that says schedule call now. And Art Wilborn at MyFamilyHealthPlan.com will give you the hookup. Does it get any better? Yes, it does. Yes, it does. You get an insurance plan that won't insult your deeply held religious beliefs by making you cover something like abortion. Don't worry about that. That's not in it. Art is a man of faith. And this is the opposite of Obamacare. Many of the plans under Obamacare do make you cover horrible stuff like that. Also, does it get any better? Yes, it does. You go to MyFamilyHealthPlan.com, you book a free consultation, and my buddy Art Wilborn will make sure there are no gaps in your coverage. Save money on your insurance, affordable plans, save 30 to 50% on premiums, personalized health coverage, low to no deductible, no copays. Just by going to MyFamilyHealthPlan.com, you'll be glad you did. Fantastic. Fantastic. All right, now, that having been said, that having been said, <laughs> um, yeah, this is kind of fun. Hillary Clinton, uh, she did an interview with somebody over in NBC, I mean, I, I should know the guy's name. He looks so familiar. But I can't quite, uh, can't quite place him. But she, uh, She got all teary-eyed. She choked up. 
reading part of what would have been her victory speech had she won on Election Day 2016. And she knew that in an NBC studio, she had a friendly audience. Because if you notice, right at the end of this thing, there are oohs and ahs. They're cooing because, to quote the guy who masqueraded as her husband for many, many years, I I feel your pain. And they certainly were feeling Hillary's pain. But I thought it was hilarious. Now, when I did a local radio talk show in Little Rock, craziest thing, I came to Little Rock, Arkansas in 2014, never having seen Arkansas before. And uh, not too long after I got to Little Rock, Arkansas, I would get callers saying, Doc, um, hate to be the bearer of bad news, hate to break it to you, but she's going to be elected president, and there's not a thing we can do about it. I don't remember anybody saying this specifically, but I, I think they probably assumed that Jeb Bush would be the nominee, and she would just roll over him. She would just ram, just uh, steamroll this guy. He would roll over for her, in other words. Because let's face it, Jeb Bush had already given Hillary Clinton a constitutional uh, medal, some kind of medal of liberty at the uh, U.S. Constitutional Center in Philadelphia a couple of years before he was going to run for the presidential nomination. And so he was already practicing to roll over for Hillary. And, of course, this is before anybody had any idea that Donald Trump was going to get in the fray or any of the other Republican nominees. Everybody was pretty sure Jeb Bush was going to run, but they didn't know who else was going to run. And, of course, one of the things that drove the Republican establishment crazy about Trump is that he was more confrontational than Mitt Romney or John McCain or, for that matter, George W. Bush or Bob Dole or the first Bush. I mean, Trump doesn't really remind me of, of Reagan. You know, the, doesn't have the same temperament or anything. But Reagan could get pretty feisty and pretty confrontational. And uh, and Trump was the throwback um, to that. And so Trump resonated with the American people. And that's why he beat Hillary. And that's why they also had to make sure he didn't win in 2020 by stealing it. And let's face it. That's what they did. Anyway, um, so Hillary, th this this is kind of like your your feel good uh, audio clip for the day. 
didn't, as you know, write a concession speech because even though we had a lot of bumps those last 10 days, uh, I, I still thought, you know, we could pull it out. So I worked on um, a speech that really was about my journey and had a, had a real emphasis on my mother's life and journey as a way of, you know, making it clear that yes, I would be the first woman president, but I, I like everybody, uh, stood on the shoulders and lived the lives uh, and experiences of those who came before us. I dream of going up to her and sitting down next to her, taking her in my arms and saying, look at me, listen to me, you will survive. You will have a good family of your own and three children. And as hard as it might be to imagine, your daughter will grow up and become the president of the United States. Oh, <laughs> so, um, yeah. Hillary's mom had three kids, not just Hillary. But uh, Tony and Hugh Rodham also, they uh, they accomplished a lot. No, it's, <clears throat> no, you, you can you can look it up. Um But Hillary just sounds all torn up there, all bent out of shape. And uh That's a shame. You know, sometimes people need to be content. If you and your husband, a crime family organization, have ripped off uh, $10 billion, allegedly, why, why can't you be content with that? You know? No, 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 no. Look, after the earthquake in Haiti some years back, Americans donated $10 billion to the Clinton Foundation to rebuild Haiti. And most of it never got there, which is why for years, two or three times a year, Haitians would protest outside the Clinton Foundation offices in Harlem in New York City. Oh, no, I don't. I don't know if she's gonna, ever going to be held accountable for anything in the in this world. But uh, no, in the world to come, that's that's a whole other ball game. Now we got we got some high, high profile trials going on. Okay, we got some high profile trials going on. And we're going to get to uh, Glenn Maxwell here in just a little bit. By the way, I don't know if you know, but um, no way. Okay, this guy that calls himself Shipwreck Crew, who uh, used to be a federal prosecutor, his real name came out a little while back. I don't remember what it is. Um But he, he writes for redstate.com. He says, uh, well, this is crazy. 
He says, I, I'm guessing we're getting to the good stuff about Bill Clinton and Epstein. That's why Hillary's in the news today reading her planned victory speech from 2016. I don't know. I don't know. That'd be funny. That would be funny. Anyway, 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 that having been said. Well, no, a lot of people don't realize that the S in her first name, uh, Galen Maxwell, is silent. So they want to say Gislaine or whatever. Uh, it's G-H-I-S-L-A-I-N-E, and it's, since the S is silent, it almost sounds like G-L-E-N-N. It's Galen. But, uh, yeah, that that uh, that trial is going on, and, and we want to talk about that here in a, in a minute. But I got to... I got to say something about Jesse. Um, <laughs> Jonathan Turley, liberal law professor over at thehill.com, has this new article, Jesse Smollett's Final Act, How a Hate Crime Hoax Became a Pitch for Jury Nullification. Okay, And he says, in his testimony before a Chicago jury this week, actor Jesse Smollett talked about how he has had to carefully maintain his image as a black Cary Grant. <laughs> Seriously? Seriously. Cary Grant was handsome. Come on, man. I mean, if you want to talk about a black Cary Grant, there was Billy D. Williams, right? Uh, Denzel Washington, right? But Jesse, come on, man. Give me a break. Anyway, <clears throat> Professor Turley continues. He says, the Empire Star, however, seemed more like a modern-day version of Humphrey Bogart as Captain Quig in the Cane Mutiny. A delusional witness lashing out at every other witness as scoffing at me, spreading wild rumors. Many have marveled at the audacity of Jesse Smollett, who literally is asking jurors to discard not just every piece of material evidence, videotape, and eyewitness testimony, but to defy any semblance of logic in accepting his account of a racist attack by Trump supporters. That's because he's not really trying to convince anyone that he didn't stage the attack with the help of Nigerian brothers Abumbola and Olabingo Osundaro. He's trying to get the jury to vote for him despite his guilt. It's called jury nullification, and this may be the most raw example of the practice in decades. Even if he can get a single holdout juror, he has a hung jury. After all, Jesse Smollett followed a similar strategy successfully in the media for months. He knew that facts are whatever people want them to be. 
Some of us expressed skepticism over Smollett's initial account to Trump supporters coming upon him around 2 a.m. in Chicago on a freezing night in January 2019 and then allegedly beating him, putting a noose around his neck, pouring a chemical on him, and declaring, perhaps for the first time in history, that Chicago is MAGA country. Making this even more bizarre was that the spontaneous attack occurred shortly after Smollett was a target of a racist letter threatening to lynch him, a, a, a letter that the, the prosecutors believe he wrote. None of that mattered, though, because Smollett knew his audience. Vice President Kamala Harris, then a U.S. senator, denounced what happened as an attempted modern-day lynching. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi said it was a homophobic attack and an affront to our humanity. In a fawning interview, ABC's Robin Roberts described Jussie Smollett as bruised but not broken and breathlessly concluded the segment with, beautiful, thank you, Jesse. Even when evidence mounted that this was a hoax, some media figures lashed out at Smollett's doubters. Sarah Gilbert, host of a show on ABC called The Talk, was irate. She said, I find so personally offensive that a gay black man is targeted and then suddenly he becomes the victim of people's disbelief. Smollett's attack was simply one of those facts too good to check. It made more sense to assume there are roaming bands of MAGA-headed Trump supporters attacking black people on the streets of Chicago. In a courtroom, such willful blindness is supposed to yield to objective evidence. However, that's where jury nullification comes in. Georgetown law professor and MSNBC legal analyst Paul Butler has been a long-standing advocate of black jurors engaging in jury nullification in some cases involving black defendants. Butler wrote in the Washington Post in 2016, quote, confronting the racial crisis in criminal justice, jury nullification gives jurors a special power to send the message that black lives matter, unquote. Jury nullification is not an act of willful blindness. Rather, it's an act of willful disregard of the evidence. It occurs when jurors acquit, rather, it occurs when jurors acquit, regardless of the evidence of guilt. It's not that they don't see or understand the evidence. They simply choose the individual over the evidence. Lawyers usually cannot expressly ask jurors to disregard the evidence of a case in contradiction to the judge's instructions, but they can make the case for nullification in not-so-subtle ways. In Jesse Smollett's case, the defendant talked about his mistrust of the police and openly accused the prosecutor of misrepresenting facts to the jury. In front of the jury, he declared... I'm a black man in America, and I do not trust police. 
Now, Jesse Smollett was curt on cross-examination, insisting that the two Nigerian brothers, one of whom he said was once his lover, the Chicago police, the prosecutors, and others all sought to frame him. Smollett even chastised prosecutor Dan Webb for reading from Smollett's Instagram messages, which included the N-word. Smollett told Webb to spell or abbreviate the word so as not to offend, quote, every African-American in this room, unquote. But wait, Jesse, you're the one that used the word. So are you offending yourself? Anyway, there have been historical uses of jury nullification to resist government abuse, including racial prosecu- racist prosecutions. One of the first such instances was the acquittal in 1735 of publisher John Peter Zenger, who printed seditious libels against abusive colonial governor William Cosby. However, jury nullification can have a darker side when jury, jurors refuse to convict people because they agree with the crime, including possible hate crimes. That was the argument once made implicitly to some white Southern jurors in the early to mid-20th century to disregard crimes committed against African-Americans, even murder. Anybody remember Emmett Till? The Jussie Smollett defense is a classic plea for nullification, which is why it seems so bizarre to most people weighing the evidence. The trial becomes a struggle over perceptions rather than proof. Even Jesse Smollett's lawyers claimed to be victims in the courtroom. This is crazy. Defense attorney Tamara Walker demanded a mistrial in a sidebar conversation with attorneys from both sides and Cook County Judge James Lynn. Walker reportedly broke into tears after accusing the judge of lunging at her in the courtroom and making faces from the bench. Jurors can develop a strange sense of of improvised justice and nullification verdicts. In Ireland, there was a famous verdict in the case of an Englishman who accused an Irishman of stealing a pair of boots. The guilt of the defendant was glaring, but the Irish jury ruled against the Englishman and added one line to the jury form, quote, We do believe O'Brien should give the Englishman back his boots, unquote. Uh, <laughs> we, we, we vote not, guilt, not guilty on the Irishman for stealing the boots from the Englishman. Not guilty, but we believe he should give the boots back to the Englishman. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Jussie Smollett is seeking the same conscious act of nullification from this Chicago jury. There is, however, more at stake than a pair of boots. Jussie Smollett is the very definition of a race baiter seeking to use our racial divisions for his personal aggrandizement and advancement. If successful, he would, re- he would reduce the court to the same narrative-driven reality of our politics and entertainment arenas. See, I don't think we have the racial divisions a lot of people think we do. I have something called the produce department rule. 
when I go to Kroger or Costco or wherever in the produce department and I say, oh, no, after you, to a lady with a cart, it doesn't matter if she is black, white, Hispanic, Asian, whatever. I always get a smile because we're all just people. It doesn't matter that we have more or less melanin in our skin. We're all just people. We're all related. You go far enough back, we're all cousins, came from, from Adam and Eve and Noah and his wife. I don't get the racial division thing. I think people want to uh, foment racial division, but we don't have to put up with that. We don't have to put up with that foolishness. Anyway, Jonathan Turley concludes. He says, in that sense, the sense of racial division and narrative-driven reality of politics and entertainment, he says, in that sense, Jesse Smollett is still playing to his audience. He knows reality is not what is true, but what an audience wants to be true. In politics, Kamala Harris... Nancy Pelosi and others proved that with their protestations over his attempted lynching in the media, not only his story, but questioning of his story were cited as evidence of a viciously racist society. Now in his latest performance, Jesse Smollett hopes to convince jurors that he may not be innocent, but he should not be found guilty. The question is whether jurors, like some journalists, will see the same so-called beauty in Jussie Smollett's tall tale. Bro, that's strong, man. That is strong. Jonathan Turley, Shapiro, professor of public interest law at George Washington University, overthehill.com. That is strong. And I think he nailed it. I really... I really think he nailed it. We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. What is the Doc Washburn Show Tweet of the Day? All right, Doc Washburn Show Tweet of the Day brought to you by Red River Your Way. Big old car dealership in the middle of the USA that believes in your freedom to buy the car, truck, van, or SUV the way you want to. Buy it online. Figure it all out online. They'll deliver it to your front door. Tweet of the day brought to you by RedRiverYourWay.com. And the tweet of the day. This is beautiful. This is beautiful. Elijah Schaefer put this up. I'm going to uh, I'm gonna have to save this picture and put it on my Facebook page. It's a picture of Jussie Smollett. And uh, <laughs> and it has him quoted as saying, everyone makes mistakes. Don't beat yourself up. Ah! <laughs> That's pretty good. Everyone makes mistakes. Don't beat yourself up. So, let me see. What I think I can do I can save this picture, right? I can save this picture on my PC, right? Because this should be up on, on Facebook, not just Twitter. And I open up my Facebook page, right? I don't have to put any comment on it because I can't type and talk and think at the same time. I don't know how to do that. 
But uh, what I can do, okay, you click on photo, you share the photo. Okay, screenshots. Jussie, where'd I put it? Let me just put it up on Facebook and see. Yeah, I tell you what, why don't we run it up the flagpole, see who's slow. We'll do that. Everyone makes mistakes, don't beat yourself up. No, presented without comment. Thank you to redriveryourway.com, the car dealership that believes in your freedom to buy the car the way you want to, for sponsoring the Doc Washburn Show tweet of the day. That's a beautiful thing. That's a beautiful thing. All right, now, so what's going on with the Galen Maxwell trial? Um, there's this uh, guy uh, named Matthew Russell Lee, innercitypress.com who covers law at the Southern District of New York, and he's been doing basically a, a play-by-play of what's going on with Galen Maxwell's trial. She is the uh, former girlfriend and alleged pimp for Jeffrey Epstein. And um, he said... He said that Maxwell wanted to dox all her, of her accusers. You know what it means to dox somebody? It means to get their personal information out there. To perhaps, perhaps bring them trouble, if you catch my drift. Anyway, he's just been doing a, a play-by-play of the Glenn Maxwell trial and it's pretty fascinating it's pretty fascinating let's just dip in there and look at look at what he's talking about today okay it's u.s versus glenn maxwell day eight starting late to due to a juror with a slow subway day after the u.s announced it will or may rest its case this week. Judge Nathan says we still have to wait for our juror who has substantial train issues. I'll step down off the bench. Clerk says I'll rise. And about an hour or so later, juror arrived 45 minutes late. I'll rise. Next witness, Janine Gil-Velez of Florida Property Management. That is Mar-a-Lago. Assistant U.S. Attorney says, how long have you worked at Mar-a-Lago? She says, 15 years. Assistant U.S. Attorney says, so this is Exhibit A23R, redacted for the public, but it's a personal action notice, the hiring of Sky Roberts in April 2000. That's what the U.S. wanted to establish, the hiring of Sky Roberts. So now cross-examination, Maxwell's lawyer, Bobby uh, Sternheim, says, but you have no personal knowledge of the hiring, Correct. Correct. No further questions. Judge Nathan says, next witness, Sean. 
The witness will testify only as Sean to protect anonymity of previous witness Carolyn. No exact likenesses are allowed in the drawing. Witness says I'm S-H-A-W-N. That sealed exhibit has my full name. Assistant U.S. Attorney says, how old are you? Sean says, I'm 38. I'm a salesman. Assistant U.S. Attorney says, what was the first name of your girlfriend? Sean says, Carolyn. She was 14. I was 17. We dated four or five years. She worked at Arby's, and she worked for Jeffrey Epstein. Oh, oh, hold up now. Assistant U.S. Attorney says, how did she meet Epstein? Sean says, through Virginia Roberts. Now, Virginia Roberts, Jeffrey, is a woman in the infamous picture with Prince Andrew and Glenn Maxwell, the one who was suing uh, Jeffrey Epstein's estate, right? Anyway, Assistant U.S. Attorney says, what's the difference between Palm Beach and West Palm Beach? Sean says, money. Maxwell's lawyer, objection. Judge Nathan, sustained. Assistant U.S. Attorney Maureen Comey. Now, that last name may sound familiar. She's Jim Comey's daughter, former FBI director. She says, did you go to Palm Beach much? Sean said, no, I didn't have enough money to buy anything in the gas station there. Assistant U.S. Attorney says, how long did Carolyn stay in Jeffrey Epstein's house? Sean says an hour or maybe an hour and five minutes. Assistant U.S. Attorney says, how were the sessions set up? Sean says, they would call my phone, Sarah and a lady with a foreign accent. One was English and one almost French. Assistant U.S. Attorney Maureen Comey, did Carolyn mention anyone else? Sean says, Maxwell. She couldn't pronounce the first name. Aha! G-H-I-S-L-A-I-N-E. And the S is silent. And a 14-year-old girl yeah, probably might have a hard time pronouncing it. Assistant U.S. Attorney says, did she get a gift? Sean says, from FedEx, lingerie and a movie from New York. Assistant U.S. Attorney, did you go to Epstein's with anyone else? Sean says, Melissa and Amanda Laszlo. Assistant U.S. Attorney says, how old was Amanda when you saw her go to Epstein's house? Sean says, 15. Maxwell's lawyer, objection. I guess it was overruled. Assistant U.S. Attorney, how old was Melissa when she went to Epstein's house? Sean says, 16. She came out with $100 bills. Assistant U.S. Attorney says, were you arrested in Louisiana? Sean says, yes, possession of meth and felon in possession of a firearm. Now I'm a salesman. Now cross-examination by Maxwell's lawyer, Jeff Pagliuca, who says, Sean, you went to Epstein's house in 2002, correct? Sean says, yes. Pagliuca says, and it was Sarah who called you and gave you her name, right? Sean says, correct. Pagliuca says, you met the government, for example, in July 20. 2022, that hasn't happened yet. This must be a typo. It must be 2002. And said the accent was French. Sean says it was foreign. Next witness, Nicole Hess, worked at Epstein's and Maxwell's Palm Beach home in 2003. Assistant U.S. Attorney says, what was your job? Ms. Hess says, take care of the home. I was hired by Glenn Maxwell. 
Judge Nathan says, I'll give the jurors their morning break. And then when they come back a few minutes ago, Assistant U.S. Attorney says, in the sealed exhibit, did you see that Carolyn called Epstein's house? Answer, I do. Assistant U.S. Attorney says, now that we're looking at this sealed government exhibit, it says Carolyn, right? Answer, right. Next witness is Epstein's second pilot, Mr. Rogers. Sure. Kind of a funky day, you know. On the Lolita Express with Jeffrey and Galen and Bill Clinton, you know. All kinds of people were on the Lolita Express, you know. I think maybe even Bill Gates. Can you say Gates? Sure. I knew you could. I like the way you say that. Did you know that? Sure. Sorry, I just slipped gears there for a moment. Um, next witness, Epstein's second pilot, Mr. Rogers. <laughs> Assistant U.S. Attorney says, who do you work for until 2019? Rogers says, Jeffrey Epstein, as a pilot since 1999. I was hired in Columbus, Ohio. We mostly flew between his houses. From 1991, he had a smaller plane than a Gulfstream. Then a Cessna 421, followed by the Boeing 727. Assistant U.S. Attorney says, on the Gulfstream, what divider was there? Roger says, a door always closed. He says, I kept a logbook, including passenger names. Assistant U.S. Attorney says, we offer the logbook as a sealed exhibit. Now, why is it sealed? See, in case you've been wondering the past few minutes, Doc, why are you putting us through all this Minutia. Maybe to get to this, right? Why is the logbook of who flew on Jeffrey Epstein's plane a sealed exhibit in this federal case against Glenn Maxwell? Well, see, a lot of people think, I don't know if this is true or not, it may be. A lot of people think the purpose of this trial is to put Glenn Maxwell away for Jeffrey Epstein's crimes and hers, and then to say, okay, we're done here. No need to go after anybody else. We'll see. We'll see. Why don't they want everybody in America to know who flew on Jeffrey's planes? Okay, so Matthew Russell Lee over at intercitypress.com says, note, Roger's law log book, as shown on the screen, has the entire column of passengers' names redacted or blacked out. Is there a reasonable expectation of privacy for flying on the private jet of a pedophile? Assistant U.S. Attorney, still with Mr. Rogers, pilot for Jeffrey Epstein, says, how did you find out the names of the passengers? Rogers says, sometimes we'd be told. Assistant U.S. Attorney says, would you always know? Rogers says, no. Rogers says, we were flying to Traverse City, Michigan, and all of a sudden it's time for a lunch break. Interesting. So anyway, 
Uh, if you're one of those people that's uh, a, a normal person, you know, not on uh, not on Twitter. I'll tell you what, I'll do this for you. We've got uh, we've got a lot of running commentary and play-by-play back and forth in the Epstein trial over Matthew Russell Lee's uh, Substack account. So I'll post that on my uh, Facebook page here in a little bit. Because it's fascinating, and I just want to know I just want to know why why are they keeping that uh, that logbook from Jeffrey Epstein's plane redacted, blocked? What's the deal with that? Anyway, um, this guy over at Inner City Press, what did I say his name was again? Um, Matthew Russell Lee is doing a great job covering it. And we, we just we dip into it every once in a while. All right, now, if you haven't yet gotten to the place where you don't necessarily trust employees of government schools to um, to deal fairly with their children. I'm tempted to just throw up my hands and say, well, I can't help you then. But maybe one more piece of information from uh, Los Angeles, California. And what they did to a 13-year-old boy. This is from uh, NBC4 in L.A. Now, Local local television, whether in L.A. or or anywhere else, usually is thought of as being just as liberal as the national television news, all right? Just so you know. But they reported this anyway. Even though the vaccine mandate for LAUSD doesn't go into effect until January 10th, some parents tell us that they believe their kids are being pressured into getting the jab. I should have been involved. Maribel Duarte says her 13-year-old son, a student at the Barack Obama Global Prep Academy in South LA, brought home this vaccine card after having accepted the COVID-19 vaccine at school. She says he said yes when someone offered it in exchange for pizza. The lady that gave him the shot and signed the paper was the one that told my son 
please do not say anything. I don't want to get in trouble. LAUSD says student matters are confidential and wouldn't comment specifically, but did say it's Safe Schools to Safe Steps incentive program is meant to ensure several steps are in place for vaccinated students to receive prizes. Duarte says she's not against the vaccine. She's vaccinated herself, but it's different with her son. In regarding my son's health, um, I am against it. Because he's got some underlying conditions that concern you? Yes. He has problems with asthma and allergy problems. You got that? Now, the great Mark Hemingway, senior writer at Real Clear Investigations, says there are significant forces in this country that want you to have no control over your own children. As anyone who lived through communism will tell you, the family is the last bulwark against state power. They want to disrupt that. I mean, that's the truth. You may not like it, but it is. It is the truth. So you do whatever you can to get your kids out of public school. You do whatever you can to get your kids out of the government schools. Because the majority of them are trying to indoctrinate your children into mindsets, into worldviews that you would find abhorrent and anathema. Just so you know. Just so you know. No, well, we, we try to give people evidence of things that are going on, okay? We try to let you know what's going on. And you got a teacher saying, don't tell your mother you got vaccinated. I don't want to get in trouble. Really? Now, the question is, will anything happen? Will anything happen? I don't know, man. Is anyone held accountable for anything these days? I don't know. Um, the CEO of BioNTech, the company that uh, works with Pfizer on vaccines, says something kind of weird. This morning, here it is. Yeah, particularly with the, with the, with the data now coming for the Omicron variant, it is very clear uh, this, our vaccine for the Omicron variant uh, should be a three-dose vaccine. Okay. You got that? Pfizer-BioNTech wants you to take three shots for the Omicron variant, which has the symptoms of a mild cold. Everybody who's gotten it has already been vaccinated. Look, if you don't think Big Pharma is just trying to gouge money out of you, I don't know what to tell you. I don't know what to tell you. So Jordan Schachtel, 
the great independent journalist says, straight from the horse's mouth, six shots, if you want to be updated, for Omicron. Because you already got the two jab, the two jabs for the first uh, vaccine. Then you got the, the third shot, the booster. Now you got to get three more. Three more. So Jordan Schachtel asks, are you eventually going to have like a Pfizer loyalty card? Every time you get a shot, they, they put another hole punch in it. You know, like some fast food restaurants used to do. And you get to the 12th one and you get a, like a, a free hoagie or something. Are you kidding me? No. No, they're not kidding. A lot of money to be made there. A lot of money to be made. Okay, on the lighter side, on the lighter side, the uh, the great Caleb Hull over on Twitter, PR and marketing guy. He's got a uh, screenshot of an email from Titleist, the golf ball company. Hello, Redacted. Thank you for your recent My Titleist golf ball order. Unfortunately, we cannot process your custom order in its current form. And as such, we have held it in our system. Should you like to provide a different customization, please let us know so we may update your order and release it for processing. We thank you for your understanding and your, and your support of Titleist products. Best regards, Sarah, customer service at Titleist. Now, why am I sharing with you a rejection of an order for golf balls? Well, because... Titleist is rejecting the order from a guy who wanted golf balls that said, let's go, Brandon. That's why. Titleist has now banned the phrase, let's go, Brandon, on their golf balls. So the great Dana Lash, syndicated national uh, radio talk show host, says that the company that makes balls has none. Oh, oh, oh. Okay, all right. Uh, <clears throat> Moving right along. I warned you about Saul Omarova, a woman who grew up in Soviet Union, and Joe Biden wanted her to be comptroller of the currency, wanted her to have oversight over the banks, and she wanted to get rid of the banks and force everybody's checking accounts into the Fed so they could just take your money when they wanted to, right? Well, she didn't quite make it. Some people like Joe Manchin, who's kind of like a unicorn because I guess he's a moderate Democrat, senator from West Virginia, were like, uh. <clears throat> or, well, I, I didn't quite say that right. I didn't quite say that right. Um. To quote the late, great Norm MacDonald, ah! 
I think that's kind of the way Joe Manchin and, and two or three other Democrat senators looked at this woman. She was going to shut down private banks, shut down private bank accounts. So the delightful Christina Peshaw, who is communications director for Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, said, for the Biden supporters whining that Saul Omarova was forced to withdraw her nomination because of, quote, racism, unquote, I have good news for you. Communist isn't a race. And can I just say, it's really interesting how Democrats spent the last five years demonizing every East European, every East European, regardless of nationality, as though they're all Russian spies, but cry that Omarova, the Lenin Award winner, is a victim of racism. She says, I woke up to these messages from my friend who was also born in the USSR, is the same age as Saul Omarova, and understands very well what it means to be in the Consumol and have a Lenin Award. If this was truly an example of racism against Soviet immigrants, he would not be celebrating it. But he did. And that's good. Fantastic. Man, how how uh, radical do your nominees have to be for uh, some of the senators in your own Democrat party to go, whoa, 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 wait, 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 wait. This, this ain't going to fly. No, St. Holmes? This ain't going to fly. We, 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 we can't. People, some of these people have known Joe Biden for decades, and they're like, well, no, wait a minute. We can't vote for this one. Know what I'm saying? Because, I mean, that's just, just horrendous. So, the great Julie Kelly over in American Greatness says Tom and Sharon Caldwell are the loveliest people, devout Christians, patriotic Americans. What Biden, Garland, DOJ is doing to them is pure evil. Please take a moment to read this piece written by Sharon over at American Thinker. So that's what we're going to do. That's what we're going to do. It's called How to Help January 6th Defendants by Sharon Caldwell. She says, my husband... Thomas Caldwell, quite surprisingly to me, is now known as a January 6er or a J6er criminal defendant. This term is applied to people who went to Washington, D.C. on January 6, 2021 to hear President Trump speak, to march to the U.S. Capitol, and to peacefully protest there. That is what more than 500,000 January 6th attendees did that day, including me. Unfortunately, many were arrested for simply exercising their First Amendment rights. 
My husband is one of those. He never entered the U.S. Capitol. Did not commit any violence against anyone or anything. And did not plan or participate in any kind of attack on the Capitol. Yet, he was wrongly scooped up, thrown into jail for 53 days. Most of his jail time was spent in solitary confinement. At the time of his arrest, Tom was 66 years old. He's a retired Navy officer and a disabled veteran who lives with chronic pain, debilitating spinal conditions, and other ailments, mostly due to his selfless service to our country. He has no criminal history and has been an upstanding citizen for half a century. He is a gentle, fun-loving soul. Tom is innocent of all the charges the DOJ and FBI have thrown at him. Lies about him have been spread worldwide through the media. In my husband's case, he was arrested on January 19th after virtually no investigation. Under political pressure, an extreme rush to judgment ensued. As a result, many statements and assumptions were made about Tom, which are false. The DOJ has backed off on many false accusations, but charges against Tom remain. My expectation is that they will all be dropped someday, as they should be, or he will be fully acquitted. Learn more about my husband's case and help us with our legal battle. And she links to a website, saveourfarmva.com. She says, Tom and I have been through so much over the past year, separation when he was in jail, where we were convinced he would die, tons of worry and anxiety, struggles to find legal representation, financial problems, health issues, but we've gotten through it all by the grace of God. In our darkest times, God was by our side, giving us strength, love, and peace as we reflect on our struggles of the past year. We also reflect on the many blessings and miracles we've experienced, which are too numerous to mention here. So we are putting aside any worries about what may happen in the future and are focusing on the joy of being together and the coming celebration of Christmas. Tom and I know how very fortunate we are that he was released from jail, although he remains under house arrest. But we know that it is safe, that it is easier for us to rejoice and enjoy the holiday season than it is for those whose loved ones are January Sixers still incarcerated awaiting trial. I do not know the details of those still being held in pretrial detention, but I do know this. The vast majority, if not all, of the people currently held should be immediately released into the custody of their loved ones under house arrest if necessary. Most of the detainees have zero criminal history and have been upstanding members of their communities for years. You cannot convince me that there are no conditions of release which would ensure the safety of their respective communities, the talking point used for their 8 to 11 months of imprisonment. These political prisoners, it is unbelievable that this is allowed to happen in America, pose no danger or threat. The worst part of this is the suffering of their loved ones, the suffering their loved ones are going through, their wives, children, and others who are totally innocent, 
when you imprison someone, you imprison the entire family. Accordingly, my plea to you this Christmas season is to have compassion for the J6ers and their loved ones. Pray for them. Help them. There are many ways you can help a J6er. And she links to the PatriotFreedomProject.com. You may donate to individual defendants, adopt a family in need this holiday season, and get information on how to send cards and letters to those incarcerated or under house arrest. Prayers, cards, and letters provide tremendous joy, hope, and strength to those affected. Believe me, Tom and I know this firsthand, and we are overwhelmed, thankful, and humbled by the support we've received. You can do something very tangible to give others joy and hope. This special time of year, whether you celebrate Christmas or you don't, is a perfect time to reflect on how we can all be better and come together again as one country. Let's find a path to true unity but not uniformity as one nation under God. May we find unity in the love of our country, love of others, and the freedoms we hold dear, yet celebrate the glorious differences. We all have differences of opinion, perspective, lifestyle, etc., which make each of us unique and special. The strength and health of our country are truly in the hands of we the people. We wish all of you a Merry Christmas and a happy holiday season. Uh, that's uh, Sharon Caldwell, retired from her numerous professions and manages a farm in rural Virginia with her husband, Tom. Um, the article entitled How to Help J6 Defendants. Now, that brings me to something else. Yesterday, we uh, we dipped into the end of the press conference. Marjorie Taylor Greene, Congresswoman from uh, Northwest Georgia, Matt Gates, Congressman from Northwest Florida, the great Judge Louis Gohmert from Texas, Congressman from uh, was it Southeast Texas and Paul Gosar, congressman from Arizona. Apparently, the only members of Congress who care about the January 6th defendants, they gave a uh, live press conference yesterday. And um, we we ducked in like right at the end of it, but I, I want to share their opening statements with you in just a moment. Um, but before we do, it is an honor. You know, I prayed for years to be allowed to be host of a nationally syndicated radio talk show because I wanted to get the truth out about the best kept secret in American healthcare, never knowing that there's a, a different way to do it than being on a, bu- a whole bunch of radio stations. The different way to do it is what we're doing now. We get downloads from all 50 states, from 30 different countries. And so I'm thankful for the opportunity to share with you the best kept secret in American healthcare. Uh, so let me ask you: Do you have migraine? You have migraines, neck pain, back pain, vertigo, sinus issues, allergies? Okay, now look in the mirror. Does one eye look bigger than the other? Are your eyes off balance? Are your shoulders off balance? Look at a picture of yourself. Do you naturally lean 
to the left or to the right because that's how you feel normal. The answer to any of these questions is yes, you probably need to get your atlas adjusted. That's how I got rid of my migraines, neck pain, back pain, hay fever for that matter. Let me tell you how it works. Your skull weighs anywhere from 8 to 15 pounds. It rests on the top bone of your spinal column, the atlas, which only weighs 2 ounces. So it's really easy for that atlas to get out of alignment. If it does, your whole spinal column can get kinked up like a chain, restricting your central nervous system's ability to send impulses to the rest of your body. It can affect your respiratory system, your reproductive system, your circulatory system, and, yes, even your digestive system. And it can cause migraines, neck pain, back pain, all kinds of ailments. Do yourself a favor. If you're in Arkansas, you can call my friends at the Arkansas Upper Cervical Center at 501-279-2009 for a free consultation to see if you need your atlas adjusted. If you're outside of central Arkansas, go to their website, turnmypoweron.com, and click on the tab that says Find a Doctor to find one that is close to you. You'll be glad you did. These folks have helped me, my wife, so many people that we know. Best kept secret in American healthcare. Find out more. Find out how to get your free consultation by going to turnmypoweron.com. All right, uh, let's check out and see what Marjorie Taylor Greene, Paul Gosar, Matt Gates, and Louis Gohmert said yesterday, God bless them, about the January 6th political prisoners on C-SPAN. Let's see. Oh, oh, oh. Oh, they do an ad first. I thought C-SPAN was a nonprofit. Okay, yeah, let's skip out of the ad. Here we go. Org or watch full coverage on okay, C-SPAN. Okay, all now, right. Our new video app. All right, let's get to it. Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene and other Republican lawmakers held a news conference on the treatment right. of jailed January 6th defendants. Right. They spoke with reporters for about 45 minutes. Okay, let's get to it. Oh, I see. I see. I, I apologize. You know what? I should have vetted this before. Now they're walking up to the podium. Okay, here we go. Here we go. Good afternoon, everyone. Thank you for joining us this afternoon as we release the report on about the D.C. jail and our findings there. Unusually cruel. That's the title that we gave this report because this is the treatment that we found of the pre-trial January 6th defendants being held right here in Washington, D.C. in the jail. Now, I will tell you, uh, along with my colleagues here, which I'm, I'm very grateful uh, to serve with them, we had been trying uh, many times to get into the jail to take a tour. And we're used to doing that as members of Congress. We're used to touring uh, facilities, and it's never been a problem. As a matter of fact, normally we're welcome. But we were denied entrance by Deputy Warden Landerkin multiple times. As a matter of fact, she'd locked us out before, and uh, it was clear that there was a lot to hide. Right now, what we have happening in America is a two-tiered justice system. Let's all take a little trip down memory lane, shall we? In the summer of 2020, there has been an estimated number somewhere around 7,750 to over 10,000 BLM demonstrations 
According to the press, approximately 6% of them were violent. That's 570 riots, if you do the math there. But here's the deal. There was only one riot that took place here in Congress at, at the Capitol on January 6th. But what we have seen unfold has been unbelievable. It is a two-tier justice system. So we know that approximately 90% and more of Antifa BLM rioters have been have been released from jail. Their charges have been dropped. We know that in cities across America, there have been over $2 billion in damage. But here at the Capitol on January 6th, it's approximately $1.5 million. There's a clear difference. But yet we have a January 6th committee that Nancy Pelosi is leading that is nothing but a political witch hunt on Republicans and Trump supporters all across America and anyone that was at the Capitol on January 6th. What's happening to these people being held in custody is wrong. It's unconstitutional. It's a violation of their rights. And it is an abuse that I call on every single member of Congress to start paying attention to. We need investigations. It's outrageous. Now, the reason I'm playing this for you is because no one else will do it. No one else will do it. There are 535 members of Congress. These four are the people trying to stand up for the January 6th defendants. Very rarely do you hear anything about this in the media. I will give Tucker Carlson credit. He did a three-part three part series over at Fox Nation. You can watch it by going to TuckerCarlson.com if you want to do it that way. Incredible reports are that Brett Baer and Chris Wallace went all the way to the top, CEO of Fox News Channel, to complain about Tucker having the gall to dispute the party line that there are a bunch of Trump supporters who violently attacked uh, the Capitol and try to do overthrow democracy. Having the gall to tell the truth about what really happened. Having the gall to tell the truth about what's, what's going on with the January 6th defendants. But, but Tucker can't carry the ball by himself. Somebody else has to. So anyway, here's more from Marjorie Taylor Greene yesterday at the press conference. The American people are purely upset, disgusted, and cannot believe this is happening in our country. And I think all of us should be appalled. You see, this jail in Washington, D.C. has been known. It's had many reports of being a despicable place as early as 1976. U.S. District Court Judge William Bryant ruled the conditions inside the jail violated the Eighth Amendment's ban on cruel and unusual punishment. In 2015, a report filed showed the jail was plagued by mold, vermin, and water leaks. 2016, the jail had to move 200 inmates because of excessive heat. In November 2021, the Marshal Service found the CDF to be inhospitable, but yet people are still being housed there. But the January 6th defendants are being treated differently on a whole nother level. They have been beaten by the guards. They are called white supremacists. 
They are denied religious services, haircuts, shaving, the ability to trim their fingernails. There's more outrageous things happening there. They're denied time with their attorneys. They are denied the ability to even see their families and have their families visit there. They're denied bail and being held there without bail. Many of these people have never been charged for a crime before. Some of them are veterans and the treatment is unbelievable. They are told they have to denounce President Trump. They are told that their views are the views of cult members, even though these are men that every single night at nine o'clock at night, they put their hand over their heart and sing the national anthem voluntarily. Um, did you hear this? In the United States of America, people have not been found guilty of any crime, are being beaten by guards for being Trump supporters. Now, I don't understand why Donald Trump has not set up some kind of legal defense fund. He could probably find the money in his sofa cushions. But this is going on. This is like this is like uh, Iran, North Korea. I mean, Venezuela. Seriously? Here's more from Marjorie Taylor Greene yesterday. Imagine. A group of men being held in jail with no idea of when they're going to go to court, no ability to bail out, no ability to see their family, being mistreated and abused worse than we treat terrorists at Gitmo, yet they have their hand over their heart every night at 9 o'clock and sing the national anthem. That's something I don't think any of us can fathom. While they're being persecuted by the very government that has the American flag over our buildings, this is completely wrong. Whether we agree, disagree, and I can tell you right now, I completely disagree and am very against the violence that happened on January 6th at the Capitol. We should all, all disagree with how these people are being treated. This is completely unacceptable. And as Americans, this should go beyond political boundaries and we should all come together and declare that this is wrong and call for it to stop. We never want to have those in power to be able to weld their power against people they politically disagree with, especially in a time where we saw political riots all over the country and the people that committed those riots. Not only most of them have been let off of their charges, but many of them were never mistreated like this. I also want to explain something to you all. The Democrat platform, Act Blue, raised money for BLM, a lot of money. And BLM brought in millions and millions of dollars. But it, it was BLM violence and riots that were out of control. Many of, these, many of these were peaceful demonstrations, but the riots that got out of control, those were assaults and violence on private property and private citizens. But yet here we see nothing day in and everything, day in and day out in the news. It's all about the Capitol riot. Congress only cares about itself. It clearly demonstrates to the American people. It does not care about your business that got burned down. It doesn't care about the job you lost. 
Congress doesn't care about your city or community that was devastated by violence. They don't care about you taxpayers that have to pay to fix and mend, and, and they don't care about the person that assaulted you, looted your store, or hurt you in this violence. They don't care about any of that. They only care about themselves, and they're willing to use the Department of Justice, the FBI, the prisons, the jails, the guards, and any means possible to make sure that you never mess with them again. Now, let me say this. It's a good thing that she is a sitting member of Congress because if she were to start criticizing fellow members of Congress uh, in a different venue, say like, oh, I don't know, maybe the uh, Pulaski County Republican Committee, um, she would probably find herself face-to-face with the chairwoman of the Pulaski County Republican Women, not, pardon me, not Republican Women, Pulaski County Republican Committee, telling her to please be respectful of her fellow legislators. But I digress. This is wrong. It's unusually cruel. Now, I'd like to hand over um, this time to Congressman Gohmert, Congressman Gohmert was the other only member of Congress that was able to tour the jail with me that day because I was only given a little over 15 minutes notice and time to get there that I was going to be allowed to get in. So at this time, I'd like for you to hear from Congressman Gohmert. Thank you. Okay, now Louis Gohmert used to be a judge for many, many years, and he is an outstanding member of Congress from Eastern Texas, and here he is. Thank you. Uh, Marjorie, thank you for your work, your efforts. Uh, There's no better contrast between what happened in the summer of 2020 and what happened January 6th than the issue of bail. Uh, We hear for many people that participated in destroying federal buildings, police buildings, looting than that they had no bail, so they were immediately allowed to be released. And yet we got people in the D.C. jail who had no bail, meaning they can't get out. Now, on the state side, having been a felony judge, you had to have done something incredibly extreme to have bail so high that you could not make it, uh, especially a no-bail situation. It's just so extremely rare. But to have that kind of dichotomy uh, here in the nation's capital is pretty outrageous. Uh, we know, for those that are still taught any type of uh, uh, civics or government You know that under our system, you are innocent until proven guilty. And the law and the Constitution have made very clear you're not to punish anyone who's in pretrial confinement. Pretrial confinement is not a place for punishment. That can only come after conviction. And yet here what we've seen in the D.C. jail, 
amounts to a great deal of punishment. And to be clear, it's not just the inmates that have suffered. Uh, as Marjorie and I toured the D.C. jail, some of the conditions were so astounding, I, I asked more than one guard, if, have you ever worked in a facility that had these kind of problems? And quietly they would say, never, no. It is outrageous. Now, there's some that say, oh, it's just because you've not been in jails or prison. You don't know. This is what it's like. No, those people that said that have not witnessed what's been going on in the D.C. jail. Um, first, we have heard repeatedly since January 6th, this was an armed insurrection. And as I asked Merrick Garland, and I've asked others, you know, is there anybody been charged with insurrection? And the answer is actually no. No one has been charged with insurrection. Uh, in fact, if they were going to charge with someone with insurrection, it's beginning to sound more and more like those would be agents for the federal government that were there stirring things up, trying to get people to engage in violence. And as we heard this weekend, uh, apparently a guy that was given out what were later used or uh, called dangerous weapons uh, may well himself have been working for the federal government. For um, I just want to say Ray Epps. That's the name. Ray Epps. That's the name to uh, look for out there on the Internet. Probably DuckDuckGo. Google might uh, censor it. That was a guy who was trying to get everybody stirred up the night before, saying, we got to get into the Capitol, got to get into the Capitol. And people realize that he must be a fed, federal agent. They started yelling at him, fed, 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 fed. He didn't look too happy about that. Anyway, here's more. The FBI, as he was handing out what they now charge were deadly weapons. So we've got a lot more investigating to do. Uh, the condition of solitary confinement has been so often struck down as inappropriate, and yet the D.C. jail has gotten away with it uh, for such things as, how dare you demand to talk to your lawyer in person because now we will have to put you in solitary confinement, we'll call it quarantine, for two weeks. It's bad enough what they're suffering from, but to discourage the ability to talk to your attorney, and what we saw is we go in the building, they got a great facility there. The plexiglass, the phones on either side, you could see your attorney, and it wouldn't require anything after the visit other than wiping down the phone and the area where they were. And yet they have used this idea, oh, if you're going to talk to your, your attorney, we're going to have to lock you up in solitary for 14 days. This is the kind of punishment that they have had meted out to them, and it really has to stop. And we know the U.S. Marshal, when they finally had had enough, we didn't know that they were going. We didn't know immediately after they went. But they had gotten concerns about the facilities. They go in. They do a certain—well, they're taken in to the area where 
the other prisoners were held, not the January 6th, and that gave them time to scrub off mold and try to clean up the area where the January 6th inmates were. And they did that. They had enough time to get some of the nastiest parts cleaned up so that the U.S. Marshal held that the cleaner side of the jail was not adequate and those 400 people needed to be shipped out to incarceration in Pennsylvania. And then by the time they get over to where the January 6th folks were, it was cleaner and they let that go. Then after that, before we went over for an inspection, for a tour, they uh, had done some painting and uh, had allowing them two hours outside their solitary confinement. Uh, one of the older gentlemen there, um, he's alleged to have had a gun, and I know the Attorney General Garland was either being dishonest or he let us know that he's incompetent. When I asked him, was anybody inside the Capitol found to have had a gun, and he knew the answer, I knew the answer, and yet he said, in fact, uh, well, I'm not sure where it was, but I know uh, there was a gun found. Well, and that's one of the reasons they're keeping this elderly gentleman in jail. Uh, you look at his hand, and it's obviously dark. Looks like it's going toward gray or black. Uh, you know, that's normally leading toward amputation when it gets that bad. But they haven't given him proper medical care. Uh, this torture. They're torturing American citizens who have not even been to trial in this jail. And only four members, only four members of Congress are talking about it. Why do you think that is? I mean, I'm a big fan of people like uh, Ted Cruz and Rand Paul on a regular basis, but they're not talking about this. Nobody's talking about this. Other than Louis Gohmert, Matt Gates. Marjorie Taylor Greene and Paul Gosar. That looks to be about it. About it. Tom Cotton sure ain't going to say nothing about it. And the U.S. congressman from Arkansas, French Hill, Bruce Westerman, Rick Crawford, Steve Womack, not a peep, not a peep. And John Bozeman, the other U.S. senator from Arkansas, you've never heard of. He, he's not going to say anything about it. W what has happened to compassion for your fellow man? Anyway, this guy's being tortured. His hand got goofed up somehow, and they won't give him medical treatment. And they'll probably eventually have to amputate it. He's a cancer patient also. Is more from uh, Judge Louis Gomert. God bless him. Another inmate had his finger going just sideways at the last joint. He said it was broken by one of the guards, and they won't allow him to get uh, medical care for that. There are just all kinds of things there. Uh, the refusal to allow them to have haircuts or shave, it, it, they're creating people that look like the Unabomber. And I know from my experience uh, if a jail facility will not allow an inmate to prepare for court so that uh, 
he's not brought in looking like a criminal, then that jail facility is going to be sanctioned by the judge that uh, in whose court they're brought. None of those things are happening. We've got one judge, uh, Judge Lambert, that has started to take action, but there's not nearly enough. Uh, we need all of the videos that anybody has, but it's the federal government. I don't understand why our speaker is trying to hide evidence while they run around looking for anything that might help them make Republicans look bad. I know why. I know why. Nancy Pelosi is a communist. And all is fair in love and war, and she believes this is war. And she is trying to shut this country down and shut down any any dispute, any resistance to the ruling regime. That's why. Um, but I, I do, we did get a clue from uh, finding this tweet by the deputy, uh, our deputy warden, Deputy Warden Landerkin, two years ago, in response to this tweet, uh, had this to say. What she thinks should be done with people who support Trump. Uh, she said it two years ago, and she's been carrying out what she said ever since she, these people were admitted to jail. And it was basically F everyone who supports Trump. These people need to be relieved of their duty. She's the one that uh, when the four of us went up there to try to do a tour of the jail, uh, we were lured outside, and then she runs around back in and locked the door to the main lobby where people come in. So there are people that are in charge that should not be. They're, the inmates are being mistreated. And as somebody that's been a prosecutor, a felony judge, and a member of the crime subcommittee ever since I've been here, I've toured, no telling how many jails and prisons. And it's just hard for me to believe federal judges are allowing this to go on right here. It is a bad omen for the country that this is happening. And at this time, I would like to yield to my friend from Florida, Congressman Gates. All right, so Matt Gates, um, young man who represents the 1st District of Florida in Pensacola, steps up. Uh, by the way, by the way, Usually, uh, about five or six minutes after, five or six minutes after um, uh, two Eastern, one Central, is when, for whatever reason, Podbean shuts down the live stream, but everything is on the uh, is on the podcast. Um, everything is on the podcast. If we keep going past where they, for some reason they shut down the pod bean, uh, live stream. And as they say something like, well, if more people give gifts or something like that, which does not, it's not anything monetary. I don't know what it is, but anyway, just, we apologize that the live stream gets cut off at about, uh, six after two Eastern or, or one central for what it's worth. Okay. Let's hear what, uh, Matt Gates has to say here in this 
press conference trying to speak up for the January 6th defendants. Well, I'm sure glad Nancy Pelosi kicked Marjorie Taylor Greene off her committees because it has given her the opportunity to prepare this report, which constitutes the most rigorous oversight work Republicans have done in the 117th Congress. And Lord help them when Dr. Gosar is able to join Congresswoman Greene's efforts with even more of his time. How many and who's next? That's what we're wondering. It's been 47 days since Attorney General Garland came to the House Judiciary Committee and misled our committee regarding the targeting of parents as domestic terrorists for attending school board meetings and having their voice heard. Because who's next? Is it going to be the parents who find themselves in the conditions that we see from the January 6th detainees? It's the January 6th detainees who are denied basic access to medical care and constitutional rights today. But tomorrow, it could be the school board parents. The day after that, the rest of us, all of you. It has been 174 days since my colleagues and I sent a letter to FBI Director Ray asking basic questions about the FBI's involvement in January 6th. Americans should not be languishing in hideous, unconstitutional conditions waiting for basic answers like this, waiting for basic answers regarding evidence, waiting for access to counsel. This report must be a guidepost for ongoing Republican oversight effort in the Congress because we are going to take power after this next election. And when we do, it's not going to be the days of Paul Ryan and Trey Gowdy and no real oversight and no real subpoenas. It's going to be the days of Jim Jordan and Marjorie Taylor Greene and Dr. Gosar <clears throat> and myself doing everything to get the answers to these questions. Wow. Wow. Oh, did you hear that? Not going to be the days of Paul Ryan and Trey Gowdy. Hello. Shot across the bow. Hello. I'll tell you what. Trey Gowdy, he talks a good talk, brother. He talks a good talk. But maybe, uh, maybe I'll tell you sometime about how he doesn't walk the walk. All right, more from Meg Gates. So Congresswoman Green and Mr. Gohmert's work here have, have been absolutely critical. Uh, Judge Gohmert's legal analysis is, as a jurist is woven throughout this work product and incredibly helpful. And we are going to get the answers to these questions because this should not be happening in the United States of America. I would yield to Dr. Gosar. I think my friend from Florida, it's been nearly a year has passed since the treatment of political prisoners held in detention facilities in Washington, D.C. in relation to the events on January 6th, and it is appalling. The physical conditions described by my friends of these inmates can only be described as inhumane. Lacking access to their attorneys, to evidence, families, and even proper nutrition, these inmates are suffering disproportionately from, from long periods of isolation from the outside world. Many inmates continue to describe harrowing stories of being held in confinement for 19 to 20 hours a day and only being allowed outside for a mere two days a week. They are being denied the right to attend chapel in a religious service. They aren't even allowed communion. 
Many have described having to burn their hair by utilizing harsh chemicals to even trim. Others have no access to toilets. And many share, share, share horrible stories of lacking adequate medical treatment. Those have been shared by my colleagues. These are not hardened thugs, murderers, or gang members with long histories of crimes. These are not unruly or dangerous, violent criminals. These are dads, brothers, veterans, teachers. All political prisoners who continue to be persecuted endure the pain of unjust suffering. I have repeatedly called for all individuals arrested for illegal acts on January 6th to be treated fairly. They are deserving of equal justice under the law. They certainly deserve to be treated fairly and equally to other rioters arrested at other events that took place across this country in 2020. My question is this. Mr. Biden, Attorney General Garland, why are you so interested in ruining the lives of these folks instead of equal justice? Why won't you publicly release the hours and hours of video surveillance taken on January 6th? What are you afraid of? What are you hiding? The heart of this country is equal treatment, especially by the courts. The public demands and the defendants deserve equal justice under the law. What is being described by these political prisoners is nothing short of human rights violation. The silence from the ACLU and Amnesty International is deafening. Maybe we need to look at, once again at the NDAA for the indefinite detention of American citizens to make sure it's fully removed this time and this time finally. We cannot let these injustices go unnoticed. And we will continue to fight. I will yield back to Ms. Marjorie Taylor Greene. I would just like to ask all of you as members of the press to please read this report and share it with America. You have such a wonderful gift, the freedom of press, and, and Americans need to know. Whatever your political bias is, I ask you to please overlook it. That's what journalists are supposed to do. And share this information because I think it's our duty in this time to, to share the truth just as I've put in here about the jail and Congressman Gohmert put in this report about the jail, share it and, and please help people understand what's happening and let's all work together to take a responsibility to not allow this to happen anymore in our country. We've got to do a better job and, and I really want all of us to be part of it. As members of Congress, we're calling on our colleagues to step up and we have to bring this to an end. We need a good justice system, not one that persecutes people. And as members of the press, I ask you to, to tell the truth and, and report it. It's, it's your responsibility to do so. And now um, we'll open the floor for questions. Yes. Congressman uh, Green, thank you for taking my question. Um, you know, something that you mentioned during this press conference was the Black Lives Matter and something that the proponents of Black Lives Matter talk about often is the criminal justice system, issues of mass incarceration, and so forth. And so I'm wondering, like, to what extent have your experiences touring this DC jail and seeing what conditions are like inside prisons, um, you know, to what extent has that made you reflect on the criminal justice system writ large in this country and the potential for reform that people who are opposite you on the political spectrum often call for? Uh, well, looking at looking in the jail, I reported we put the full tour in there. So there's a lot of detail about every single part of the jail. 
Now, here's what I can say about criminal justice reform. I do not think it's good for anyone in prison to be have to read Nation of Islam newspapers and that be one of the only publications they have or, or information or curriculum that informs them because of the color of their skin. This is why they're being treated this way. I don't think that is good to rehabilitate anyone. I think in prisons and jail, we should rehabilitate people, and that has to do with job skills, education, and, and building character so that when they leave there, they're able to have, have a really good second chance. And those are the things I believe in and I would like to work on. As far as the difference in the jail, though, it's very clear. The January 6th defendants, they were not allowed to participate in any of the continuing education curriculums that we were shown that other inmates and other pretrial defendants are allowed to participate in. The January 6th defendants are not allowed to participate in job training like the other inmates and defendants are allowed to participate in. The January 6th defendants are not allowed to participate in mock trials that there was a third-year loss. Uh, law school student there helping other inmates learn how to handle the courtroom and what to do. None of those things were offered for the January 6th def defendants. They were isolated in a separate wing of the jail where they are abused, where they are ridiculed, where they are mocked because of their political beliefs and because of January 6th and because of the color of their skin. So there is a two-tier justice system, and these are the things that need to end. I believe in criminal justice reform, but I believe it should be reform that's fair across, completely across political lines and skin color. And I can tell you what we saw in the D.C. jail. None of that exists. Wow. That is strong stuff. That is strong, strong stuff. And again, it is just an outrage that only four members of Congress are trying to bring this to America's attention. By the way, Alexander Nazarian, senior White House correspondent for something called Yahoo News, formerly worked for Newsweek magazine, just went out on Twitter a few minutes ago. Oh, this yesterday? Oh, I'm sorry, yesterday. Says, Matt Gates just told me at a press conference that if Republicans win the House in 2022, he will move to install Donald Trump as Speaker of the House. Now, that's interesting. And I know a lot of people hearing that would say, well, how can they do that? Because Donald Trump is not a member of the House of Representatives. I'll tell you how. There's nothing in the United States Constitution saying that the Speaker of the House has to be an elected member of the U.S. House of Representatives. Now, we've never had a Speaker other than an elected member of the House of Representatives. But there's nothing in the world to stop a majority of members of the U.S. House of Representatives from electing someone from outside the house to be speaker. Just so you know. Just so you know. Now, um, I would be remiss in my duty if I didn't um, 
play you a little bit of uh, Fauci on MSNBC with Andrea Mitchell this morning. Or how is it the, the late, great Rush Limbaugh used to say, Andrea Mitchell, Fauci implying that the government can force you to get a vaccine. No, no, just take my word for it. Here he is, here he is. There's so much opposition now in Congress. And, of course, the states, even in Democratic states, Governor Whitmer in Michigan and other places, it's becoming just a political test. And the outlook in the outlook is not at all a sure thing in the court system. Is there any thought of backing off of that and trying to avoid, you know, all the outcry against it? Yeah, but, you know, Andrew, we, we really have to get people vaccinated. I mean, I understand and we all understand how people do not like to be told what to do. They want to make their own choice and their own free will. I get that and I respect that. But these are unusual times. And you can't think only of yourself and your own personal opinion, but you've got to think about your communal responsibility to get yourself and your family and indirectly then the community protected. So I would prefer, and we all would prefer, that people would be voluntarily getting vaccinated. But if they're not going to do that, sometimes you've got to do things that are unpopular, but that clearly supersede individual choices and are directed predominantly at the communal good. And that's what we're talking about when we're talking about requirements. So he's a communist. He's a fascist. Requirements. So there was a, um, a great response to that out there on Twitter, to that little video clip of Fauci saying we, we could be about to get to the point where we're just going to have to require that people get vaccinated whether they want to or not. There's so the, much. Uh, the, 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 the feds to force it on you. The first response here that I saw says, I had no idea that such high quality audio of Dr. Mengele was available, and it's not even in German. Hello! Yes. I stand with Laura Logan. I stand with Laura Logan, and that is that is an apt analogy between Fauci and Mengele. And, and, you know, that's my opinion. You're entitled to it. Okay, Judicial Watch. New Secret Service documents reveal Bill Clinton's trip with Glenn Maxwell to India. What? Really? What? Really? She's the one on trial. She was uh, Jeffrey Epstein's girlfriend, an alleged pimp. Judicial Watch announced today that it received four pages of records from Secret Service that reveal Bill Clinton took a trip with Glenn Maxwell to India. Maxwell, a long time associate of Jeffrey Epstein, who did not kill himself. Maxwell now on trial for sex trafficking and other charges. The documents were obtained through a Freedom of Information Act request to the Secret Service asking for information about any trips Bill Clinton took with Glenn Maxwell. The records include exchanges between Secret Service officers about a trip that Maxwell went on with President Clinton in a November 20, 
20, 2003, November 20, 2003, email exchange titled Request and Info, a Secret Service official advises a colleague. The L.A. lead is redacted. Manifest to Osaka and L.A. has not been confirmed, but this should not deviate too much. Former President Clinton redacted, Glenn Maxwell redacted, crew redacted. The colleague replied, thanks, redacted info helps. I'll have the prelims sent to my office by this evening so the teletype can go out tomorrow, redacted. On November 22, 2003, a Secret Service agent responded to the same chain writing, redacted, I have just received an updated manifest for the trip to L.A., the additional names are redacted. Hope this doesn't create too many issues for you. I've attached the passport list. Thanks, redacted. Agra, India to Los Angeles, California via Japan for fuel stop. An official replies, thanks, redacted. I met with the redacted today, and they've given me that info along with redacted, another edition. So we have four crew members and 12 staff and redacted USSS, redacted total. Not sure if they're feeding our redacted USSS, so I'll have food and drinks waiting for them. Cheers. Another agent responded, as far as crew and Secret Service are concerned, then that is correct. Staff slash guest list could change, as you see, redacted, but I don't think drastically. I just heard about redacted from my special agent in charge. If you're able to get my guys food, it's greatly appreciated. All you guys in Honolulu have made my job much less difficult. Thanks for your help. Finally, an agent wrote, Redacted, no problem. We're here to help and happy to do so. I know your guys have been run through the ringer. I think everyone wants to see this trip get over. So if I can help make their trip a little nicer, that's the least we can do. I heard that when they flew from Oslo to Hong Kong via Russia fuel stop, they had nothing to eat that entire trip, so I don't want that to happen again. See, Hong Kong all the way to Oslo with a fuel stop in Russia and nothing to eat for the Secret Service? That's not right. Judicial Watch, President Tom Fitton says, this new information raises more questions about the extent and nature of the relationship between Bill Clinton, Glenn Maxwell, and Jeffrey Epstein, who didn't kill himself. Judicial Watch previously sued the Secret Service for records about any Bill Clinton trips to Epstein's private island. Yeah. So, about that. I just wonder, you know. I just wonder if... um, the Glenn Maxwell trial is being done in such a way that they can say, okay, well, we took care of everything. Anyway, um, that's, uh, that's a lot for one day, I guess. I want to thank, again, the, uh, the folks at the Pulaski County Republican committee for having me to speak last night. Uh, I even want to thank the uh, the chairwoman of the Pulaski County Republican Committee, 
uh, Marley's Curve for trying to shut me up last night when I had the gall to um, to accurately report what French Hill, U.S. Representative for Central Arkansas, said and did. And by reporting what he said about the president and reporting the horrible bills he's voted for, uh, she decided that was impolite. So I appreciate her giving me the platform to have something to, you know, to share that with you guys today. Because that is the mindset of the traditional establishment Republican. We gotta make nice with people who are trying to take away all our freedom and liberty. You know, like that national vaccine uh, database. Anyway, that having been said, looking forward to tomorrow. You've been listening to episode 41 of the all-new Doc Washburn Show. Today's program has been produced by Tim Terrible, directed by Mick Messy. This has been a terribly messy production. Portions of today's show will be taken overseas and dropped. If you'd like a transcript of today's episode of the all-new Doc Washburn Show, simply peel the roof off a Rolls-Royce panel truck and send it to Mansour's Computer Solutions, 7th floor of the Ephemeral B. Smoot Building, Whitehall, Arkansas, and Sheriff Sheriff Mansour Sempier Tenth. Well, that's the way it is. Wednesday, December 8th, 2021.